Hello, and welcome to the Nick Chats podcast. My name is Beth Mace, and I am the Chief Economist and the Director of Research and Analytics here at Nick. Thank you for joining us. The focus of the Nick Chats podcast is talking to interesting people that have ideas that I think you'd really like to hear about. As you listen today, I hope that you will find some humor, insights, inspiration, and hopefully what I call an aha moment when something pithy or insightful is said and a light bulb might go off for you. So let me tell you a bit about the structure of today's event. First, I will tell you three statements about my guest, and two of those will be true. Throughout the podcast, you'll learn which is true and which is false. Second, there are three standard questions within each podcast for each speaker. The first is, what's the largest challenge facing our industry? Second, one thing to grow talent in our industry. And third, one innovative way or idea to strengthen our industry. Now, as I say, on with the show. So I'm delighted today that our Nick Chats podcast is with Arnie Whitman. Arnie is the founder and executive chairman of Formation Capital, and I've known Arnie for, gosh, uh, 20 plus years, I think. So Arnie, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Beth. So as I mentioned, I have three statements about Arnie. Two are true and one is not. And you'll find out about these more during our interview. First, that you were a founding member of Nick. We'll find out whether that is true or false. Second, that you have an amazing basketball prowess and that you've been involved with uh, many basketball games, winning gold medals. We'll find out more about that. And the third is that you do not have cancer. So now, as I said, you'll have to stay tuned for the entire podcast to find out which of these is true and which is false. So let's just start. Arnie, you and I, again, have been friends for a long time, and I know that you have a passion for aligning real estate, operations, and technology to deliver innovative senior living and care. Was his passion involved in your establishment of formation capital in 1999? Beth, no, it wasn't. You know, when we started Formation Capital in 1991, we were coming out of, or really still in, a pretty severe triple storm of of such where we had a capital markets breakdown in in, in 98, 97, 98. We had huge liability issues in our industry, especially for public companies from a cost. And we were changing our regulatory environment for reimbursement of, of skilled nursing. And so when we, I happened to have been in the debt business before we started Formation Capital. And when the credit crisis took place in, in 1998, um, I woke up one day and I realized this is going to be really challenging, uh, only to find out about three months later that I was really out of business. And the good news in that is that I was holding no collateral on our balance sheet at the time that happened. And if you understand real estate and securitization, oftentimes people are making loans or making investments. They're they're pooling those assets or that debt in this case, and then they're selling that debt. If you're it during 1998, if you had assets on your balance sheet that you were holding and managing, you woke up the next day and there was no market for those securities. So it took a little while to figure out what was going on, but what 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 that did for me was. I actually was the beneficiary of a market condition and opportunity that was created out of a challenge, which is sort of a theme of mine throughout my investment career. And that what what happened was the markets disrupted, debt became unavailable pretty much, but there was no market for what was traditionally one-year lines of credit in all these investment banks to house these debt 
this, this debt, and then in, in fact, sell that debt into the secondary markets. The people who were actually holding that debt had to go through workouts, just like a bank would have to go through workouts when they have defaults. I was fortunate enough, I didn't realize it at the time, hmm. that what that enabled me to do is say, okay, everything is bad, right? Capital markets are bad. Yeah. The nursing home industry was bad. The, the regulatory environment was bad. And there was an opportunity that presented itself ultimately, and it wasn't the founding of Formation Capital, but it became our strategy, was we wanted to pivot into equity. So we thought to ourselves, I'm in the debt business. Now I've got an opportunity to, to create value when the markets are really, really distressed. And our, my feeling was the right way to invest is, is to change from being a debt provider to being an equity provider. And that was the strategy for Formation Capital of the Origins. We targeted long-term care specifically, not because you know I did have a long history in long-term care, but we looked at senior housing in general. The most distress we could see was, was long-term care. I felt like I had the best understanding of that asset class. And the idea that we could potentially raise money in an environment where there wasn't any and take advantage of an opportunity, specifically in Florida, in a market where where my career up to that point, over about 15 years, you could never buy anything in Florida because they were always too highly priced. Everybody, these were prized assets, nursing homes in Florida because of the demographics. Um, so it was very hard to buy. I learned a lesson from my original mentor, Abe Gossman. And he said to me once, he said, when you're buying nursing homes, you look at the reimbursable basis. And the reimbursable basis back then, you had you had a payment system where the government was paying for Medicaid services, and primarily nursing homes were designed for the indigent. And the there was a capital component in every dollar of reimbursement that the government would provide. And Abe Gossman used to tell me, if you could get 20% above that, that threshold or below, that was a good target from, a, from an investment risk perspective. So I would go around and I would look for acquisitions when I worked for Metatrust. And we would look for these opportunities where the reimbursable basis for nursing homes fell into that sort of 20% premium that we felt we could fill with private pay, rehabilitation, or ancillary services. What transpired was that the market had become so challenged for the public companies that the cost basis had nothing to do with valuation because the liability costs had become so enormous for the public companies. So we had first Beverly Enterprises, which was our first transaction we ever did. And the idea was that we were going to go into Florida and we were going to buy in an asset purchase a portfolio of, a, of I'm sorry, 53 facilities, 49 skilled nursing facilities, and four assisted living buildings uh, from Beverly, who was paying exorbitant amounts of insurance costs for those. When we bought them, we were buying assets. So day one, we had no legacy liabilities. It's an important element in what evolved as a strategy for us at Formation and really what began the, the trajectory to where we've become and how far we've come today. Focused on long-term care, focused on challenges, focused on seeing those, those challenges as opportunities. We don't have time to go into it today in terms of all the ins and outs, but I will say that we put that deal under contract for $165 million. I made a commitment personally and wrote a hard check to Beverly Enterprises. We had UBS providing the debt. We had Blackacre providing the mezzanine, and we were putting up a small amount of equity. In that deal, it was only about $10 million at the time. Had the whole deal committed to. That was 2001 in July. And in, in September, 9-11 came. 
Mm-hmm. And there was there was no market. Mm-hmm. And we had to we had to just walk the streets of New York in pursuit of finding a way to capitalize this deal or or basically I was going to lose everything I had. And uh, we got that deal done. Well, now I believe that since then, <laughs> you guys have been in formation capital has been involved in the execution of almost eight and a half billion dollars of transactions. So that was one of the deals that stands out in your mind. Is there any other that really is top of mind when you think about what the history of formation capital? You know, that first deal was was really a, a you know, it was such an incredible challenge and, and, and an incredible opportunity at the end of the day. There was a lot of naysayers around that particular transaction. There was so much risk involved. Uh, and, you know, what what we essentially really did to create value, which I think is important to point out here, is that the operations didn't change that much, but the capital markets, the cost of money started to go down, as well as the the element of insurance started going down dramatically. So our timing around both the capital markets and the insurance risks diminished to a point where, when I said you know the the, the profitability of the sale of those assets. It was truly manufactured from hiring a good quality operator and and providing quality of care and services, but no real change in the operational value. The value got created in the real estate cap rates and the reduction of insurance costs. And um, that that to me was was a very important transaction for us. I would also say, and one we actually, we didn't win, but was incredibly uh, engaging and exciting was we actually then later on tried to take over Beverly Enterprises uh, mm-hmm. as, as, as a private equity or a private investment firm uh, that uh, we were got into a fairly contentious battle with another bidder. And, um, and again, that one, and, and the other, the other one is, is, is certainly Genesis Healthcare right. um, and, and, and buying Genesis Healthcare and managing through again, very, very, very challenging times and, and finding our way to today you know, a, a still operating and improving infrastructure for uh, for our investors and uh, as well as for the residents as, as well. So if I compare like today to the times that you were talking about today, we have an inflationary environment, we have rising interest rates, capital markets are changing again. So based on today's situation, you know, some are saying recession in the near term future, um, what would you, is there a new strategy or so? Because I I think of you as often being someone who who can step back and see the big picture, and then come in and figure out a strategy to take advantage of exogenous situations. Yeah. So is there something right now that you would want to share about? Um, oh, you're thinking about. Yes, absolutely, and uh, and I appreciate the compliment, and I, I do th- I, I think of myself sort of as a creative finance person. You know, I do too, and, and, and I and I also think I also think of myself as. Uh, you know, forward thinking as it relates to how how is the creation of value realized? And my belief here in the last two years for Formation Capital, I went from being really somewhat passive in the role of chairman to coming back in and actually for a period of time taking over as CEO and now and now as executive chairman. And the strategy has been after going through a long period of acquisitions. Uh, 2019 found us in a position where we were harvesting a lot of our transactions for our investors. So, you know, we spent a lot of time looking at opportunities that we had invested in, had improved on, and then looking for liquidity. Um, and then subsequently, 
Uh, COVID came in, in, in 2020, which created a whole nother set of problems. But when I came back in, which was the beginning of 2020, having no idea that COVID was upon us, I bought out our equity partners. And my strategy at the time was that I've had, due to my last seven or eight years experience in standing up the first uh, venture capital firm dedicated to issues and, and concerns and problems with the aging population. And that's Generator Ventures. And uh, again, we were the first venture capital firm uh, to endeavor in that space. And if you go back seven or eight years ago, there weren't a lot of people talking about technology in our industry. I mean, there was some, but not a lot. And I think there was always a concern about how do you get adoption of technology with not only an older population that we're serving, but a lot of providers uh, and caregivers were, you know, 50s and 60s. And, and, and so the ability to adopt technology and integrate it was seen as a, as a challenge pre-COVID. Um, it's unfortunate that such a hardship uh, as COVID could have done what it has done from a technology standpoint. But our, you know, the, the opportunity today to now do what the strategy has been, which is, has been, how do, I, how do I take innovation and technology and intersect it with enterprise and real estate. My my belief when I started Generator Ventures was this intersection of technology, innovation, real estate. And our model today, as we look to go forward, is focused more on senior living. And when I say senior living, that's wherever that senior lives, uh, whether it's in their home or whether it's in a community. From an investment standpoint for Formation Capital, being more of a real estate firm, we're focused on the senior living whether it's independent, CCRCs, we have a model for assisted living that's a little bit different that we could get into as well, or even active adults. So larger communities, we, we have a fundamental belief that socialization is a huge driver of well-being and wellness. And actually, if you could measure it, you'd find that it, in fact, keeps people healthier longer. I experienced that with my father. Uh, and who would never wanted to go into any kind of a facility. Well, I think there's studies that have shown that the socialization uh, or lack of socialization, isolation is equivalent to smoking, you know, 10 cigarettes a day or something like that. There's other studies like that that are trying to just highlight the importance of socialization. Exactly. And I believe in that. I mean, there are people that have done research and will say, social, it's interesting, socialization and movement right. are the two, bigger the two biggest drivers to, to well-being and health. And, and, you know, I, I heard that and I thought to myself, man, movement, you know, you know, some, some form of exercise, some form of, of movement and exercise. But that socialization piece is huge. Um, mm -hmm. Developing relationships and friendships uh, is, a, is a huge driver of, of value in our estimation. So what we wanted to do was uh, create, an, and my experience with Generator Ventures and many of the companies that we invested in brought us to a place where where we saw the greatest concern or issue in our industry was, and it kind of goes, I hate to jump way to the punchline because it's kind of one of your last questions. Interop <laughs> interoperability right. in healthcare in general is, is really broken. Um, and, and I think even I, I was at a, 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 a meeting here about a month ago and Seema Verma was speaking and she was talking about, you know, how, interoperability is is really not working. Can you, can you say what you mean by interoperability? So interoperability is the ability to uh, to, to connect all of your, your technology. Integrate. Yeah, integrating technology. So um, so that you have a one system 
and for in healthcare, people would think of it as, can't we have one EMR that okay. everyone is working from? Electronic or medical one, one, yes, I'm sorry, uh, or one technological infrastructure base from which everyone is utilizing to make it easier for the integration and the distribution of solutions. So based on your passion for technology, um, I think you may want to give a little teaser to our audience of something that big might be happening at USC. Something big is going to happen <laughs> at USC, at least if I have anything to say about University it. of Southern this California. Is, University of Southern California was the first, uh, launched the first accredited school of gerontology. It's called the Davis School of Gerontology. Hasi Cohen is the dean there. And, and Hasi and I have developed a deep friendship over the years. And we've consistently talked about, uh, you know, the importance of, again, integrating innovation and technology into their school. And so we have and are in discussions to literally stand up uh, a center for innovation and technology uh, for aging. And um, I'm really proud to be a part of that and uh, looking forward to uh, hopefully in the fall making some announcements, but under development. But I think from an education standpoint, from a training standpoint, you know, when you think about the stigmas that have been created in senior living, and even the word gerontology to me has kind of got a strange kind of a, 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 an image with it. But if you talk about addressing the largest population that expends the most amount of dollars and has the most chronic illness, it, it's the senior aging population. People are waking up, and I say people, the rest of the the rest of the healthcare system, which used to look down at senior living and senior care, has now woken up to the fact that there's a parity that's that's here and hopefully going to continue to manifest itself. And it, what I conceive as a huge opportunity, Absolutely. which is the fact that which which is the fact that the senior population is spending the majority of the dollars in the healthcare system. And we as an industry sit in this really unique position where how do you gain trust and engagement better than when you're seeing someone on a daily basis, you're providing them with services, you're providing them with activities, you're providing them with healthcare. So, you know, I see this enormous opportunity evolving again where the interoperability piece is and our strategy is, 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 is sort of a three-legged stool. We have a relationship with a company called SkyPoint Cloud, which is a technology infrastructure play, just fundamental. That's, it's kind of what I call picks and axes, which is the integration of the existing technology. And it could be as simple as the benefit of, um, of a provider that runs 50 assisted living or, or senior care facilities, and they just want a dashboard of insights as to how their business is doing on a timely daily basis. Our goal is to not only integrate that technology, but to drive that to the point where you have what we call a 360 view of every resident that they have in all of their communities to be able to not only engage with them, create a better quality experience, but, but through that trust and engagement, get adoption of certain benefits that would be provided through what we call centered care. Mm. And we look at this model, and, and so centered care becomes that aggregator of solutions. And that's everything from, you got an iPad in your room, you've got connectivity to your family and your grandchildren, uh, to your doctor, you know, you use telehealth, you know, you can order your meds, 
you know, all of these elements of both social and, and clinical, we anticipate delivering in a bundle that makes it easier to, to utilize so that instead of in today's world where I see it as everything being siloed, so there's post-COVID, it, it is astounding how much development there's been now around this fact that the aging population is where all the dollars getting spent. So we're seeing right. a lot of innovation. There's a lot coming, but it's 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 specifically focused at you know falls, uh, you know uh, it, uh, transportation, uh, nutrition, uh, fitness, uh, you know, communication, what, whatever it might be. There are these sort of disparate solutions. What we envision is the ability to integrate a technology that enables you to create a simple dashboard approach for not only the caregiver, but for the resident and their family as well to get both transparency and access to these benefits. Yeah. Now, let me let me play this out for one more, one more important piece of value. If you were to go to Aetna, United Health, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, their MA plans, you know, I think, I think, I'm not making a proclamation here, that one of the biggest challenges that these MA plans have, which is obviously in high growth these days, and I believe will continue that way, is engagement in their, in right. their benefits. They have all these wonderful benefits, but they don't get engagement. Well, guess what? The senior living or active adult provider, they're going to have the benefit of having a personal relationship with that person that right. is going to gain trust, that is going to get engagement, in my opinion, that now becomes valuable to that payer, to that Right, right. Uh, like eyes on them for 24-7 type thing. Correct. Yeah. And then you then you create an experience and yeah. the clinical support and the and the care support so that 24/7 that person feels safe. Yeah. That person has access and if 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 something happens, some event takes place, the first move is not 911. Right. You know, which will save a lot of money by not going to the ER. Not going to the ER, we all know what that, you know, yeah. you know, the 80 plus year old person with shortness of breath, goes to the ER, you know, it's, you know, eight to one, they're going into the hospital. It's, it, it's, it's a very, by the way, it costs $3,000 to transport. So, so, so Arnie, I want to, I want to get to another topic if you can. Yes, please. So, um, so you when I look, slow me, you have to slow me down because I'll just keep going. <laughs> so, so we're gonna have so long. So I want to ask you. So you're a pretty busy guy. You're the executive chair of Formation Capital. You already talked about gener generator ventures. Um, you also currently serve on the board of Genesis HC One in UK. Asha, Vinca, Chronic Care Management. Um, you've been very involved as an active partner in Aging 2.0. So, how do you do that? Uh, this is sort of a personal question in the sense of our listeners are trying to figure out how you can manage and balance all these things. Plus you're, you know, you love your family, you're involved with your family, you're involved in, in basketball, which we'll get into a little bit more. So how do you possibly manage all that? And well, and let's a, just, let's just add one of the truths. I don't okay. have cancer. I don't, oh, you have, don't cancer. have cancer. Okay. Well, let's I talk about not, that too. Well, I, but I, it's important in your question here because it, it's important for, for, what my perception is, what my answer to your question is, is a little different today than it would have been maybe five, 10 years ago. Um, and, 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 and so I've, I've now given away one of the, one of the truths, That's which good. is, which is, which is just miraculous. You know, I had, stage four, I had stage four cancer one year ago and a 50, 50 shot of survival. And, 
and I sit here today cancer free, and that's just amazing. So, and um, and and so congratulations. My, I will I I will admit that one of my flaws in life in business has been I just love what I do. I love putting things on my plate, but I'm not sure I really thought through how do you resolve all of these things you're putting on your plate when it becomes time to start thinking about slowing down in life and looking at life a little bit differently. My, my answer though, to the fundamentals is why I, I engage with all of these things is to me, engagement is an incredibly important part of my being and my well-being. Mm-hmm. Um, my important, important things in my life, my family comes first. My health is right there. You know, I can't do much for my family if my health isn't good. Um, my health. But then, you know, it is, it became so apparent to me, even going through this illness, that engagement in with people that you care about, people you love, things you love to do, is just so powerful in terms of giving one purpose. And for me, having looking at these things, I love people. I I love being involved in these different activities that sometimes is a little overwhelming. But it's also a chance. It's also a chance for additional engagement and putting different pieces together. I mean, my my career has been about identifying people, opportunities, and situations, and figuring out how to put these things together to create value. And and again, the beauty of our business is that unlike almost anything else, and especially our society today, don't want to go down the political uh, rabbit no, hole. No, let's not do that. <laughs> but, but no. But, you know, the creation of value, both socially and economically, is, is a really powerful thing. And senior living has, has that ability to do that. And it's interesting because if you provide a good quality of life experience, a good quality of life for people, you're actually providing health care without, without even knowing it. You know, and I, I, I guarantee you, if we actually could collect the data, that the health of people who are just in communities whether it's just daily activities or activities of daily living and nutrition and activities and socialization, they are going to fare better than the individual that's isolated and is alone. Obviously, there are cases where people are at home with their family and have that support, and, and that's going to be a different situation. But I think that, the for me, engagement in all of these different boards and activities and businesses gives me a chance at a somewhat high level to be a bit of an orchestrator rather than a you know grinder, right? I mean, there, there are different types of people and different skill sets. For me, I think it is actually conducive to where my strengths are. And that's why it manifested itself the way it did. Well, well I, for one, am thrilled that you're doing so well and that you're cancer-free. So that's fantastic. It's great. Thank you. So uh, we have some standard questions that we usually ask during the podcast. And one of the big ones in the industry is, is labor and talent. So, um, you know, you've, you're exposed to a lot of operators. You, you talk at a lot of panels. You, you, what's one way that you think we can grow talent in our industry? So, look, it'd be, you know, I, we, we talked about developing an innovation technology center at, at USC. I, I think um, destigmatizing our industry is a, it's one of those things. It's, it's uh, you know, it's not like something you can just flip a switch and change. Right. And, and I think we'll, we'll always struggle with it to a certain extent. But I think the more um, compelling that we can make our industry as to it being a really interesting and fulfilling 
opportunity for not just working and providing services and care, but literally growing into real value creation. And, and it serves, again, that, that, that type of person that is focused on giving back, right? I mean, the care, I used to make this correlation between, or I used to ask the question, what's the correlation between capital and care? Right. It's like those are like strange bedfellows when you think about it. Right, the capitalist right, right. who wants to make money and no, the caregiver who cares actually, about right. people. No, they're not. Well, right. the importance is the alignment. Right? right. Is that alignment to me is the solution. And it's interesting because to me, even in our economy, why we can't bring economics and social value in an integrated way culturally it seems to make sense. Nobody seems to talk about it. But right, right. In our industry, it is a, it is a truth, and and it is to to from a labor perspective. Look, we have challenges. Challenges are going to remain. I do think um, there are shifts today that are going to bifurcate our both our industry and the labor dynamic. I think better incentives and alignment, uh, where people are able to realize laborers today. When they see the CEO making billions and they're making, you know, fifteen dollars an hour or twenty dollars an hour, you know, there's a there's a disconnect there, right? So, and, and I don't think there's a lot of that in our industry, but it's an exaggerated example of the importance of the creation of value, if perceived appropriately, around that social piece and how important it is for caregivers and recognizing and rewarding those laborers and those workers at any level, whether it's at the bedside or whether it's in corporate um, or whether it's investors, the more you can get alignment of, of incentives and value, the more I think you can overcome uh, issues around labor, uh, the challenges. You don't do it overnight. Again, there's been this move toward you know, labor having, you know, there's so many more options. That's, I don't believe will last. And I also believe that we are so innovative and the last piece will be technology is a way and is already demonstrating to me ways in which we can be more efficient with paperwork. You know, I mean, it's hard to believe that we still have communities that don't have Wi-Fi. I mean, it's like, right, right, right. Re re really? Um, and, and, and but, you know, as we start to adopt means in which we can do things from a digital standpoint um, and from a, a more efficient uh, way of delivering services and take take caregivers away from the administrative elements and really be focused on the caregiving. I think it enriches their job. And I think it brings more people and more options available, creates a better environment. So there's no silver bullet here. There's no, there's no like, you know, in my mind, it's a challenge. It's going to be challenging, but I think we are, you know, we always adapt. I, I mean, I, I, our industry has always been very good at adapting. And I think what one of the things we will see is this almost merging of some of the technologies that have been utilized in staffing companies that may be viewed as, you know, pariahs today. Oh, you know, these staffing companies are taking advantage in there. Right. Think about integrating the staffing technology into the operations where they're utilizing tools to better identify the right people, the right positions, knowing in advance 
where there may be a need, where the efficiency is in the labor. So I think there's elements here, that, uh, different elements that we can address the labor issues. In well, way. flexibility is one of those examples. So if you work in a temp agency, you have much more um, control over your own schedule. And when surveys are increasingly showing that staff want flexibility. So that's, that's one right. of the lessons that can be learned from there. I agree with so, that, Deb Beth. So let's go back to um, the other statements that we started at the beginning. And I'm going to start with, uh, tell us a little bit about basketball and basketball in your life. And I think you've won a few uh, medals on that. Is that true? Yeah. You know, that's my, I am a gym rat at heart. I, <laughs> I, You're I, a marathon I, runner. I, I've been a marathon runner. I'm not any longer, but I ran 46 marathons. A um, little obsessive compulsive, I think. Might be a, might be a type A. Um, <laughs> basketball, basketball has always been, first of all, I love the game of basketball is a beautiful thing to me. I mean, it, you know, it's one of those things where when you go play basketball, you, you literally, I almost think of it as like, a, it's almost like a, a dance form or a meditation where you, you can't be thinking of, you know, what's happening tomorrow or what happened to me last week. You have to be present. You're getting exercise. You're working with others. You know, the elements of how the game works and then strategy and then performance and fitness, all of these things I think are fascinating and have always been attractive to me. And, you know, I was, um, I was, a, I was an all-state basketball player in high school in Massachusetts. And I went on a full athletic scholarship for basketball in college and played Division I college basketball. And then I stopped for a long period of time, literally till I, gosh, probably my mid-30s. I went from probably when I was 28 to 35, where, you know, I just stopped and I got out of shape. And, you know, I woke up one day and decided I wanted to, I was going to get in shape. I was going to stop drinking beer <laughs> and I, <laughs> and I was going to, and I was going to run a marathon and I dropped 40 pounds over a period of time. And I, of course, one was not enough. So I then continued <laughs> pursuing that. And I started a, a strategy with marathons where I ran, I was three months on three months off. And I ran two a year for 20 years. And uh, at the same time, when my three months were off, I played basketball. So I was always doing something. And then when I turned 50, um, I found out about what was uh, an organization called the National Senior Games. And the National Senior Games is held every two years in some city. And it is a Olympic platform for people over 50. And every five years is a different age group, a different division. Uh, and I put a team together in Atlanta, uh, and and uh, we proceeded to enter into this uh, this national championship. And uh, lo and behold, we won the first time we we, oh. we put the team in. We won the we won the championship. And I I think over let's see I think it's every two years since I, since uh, I turned fifty. I am now seventy, so over twenty years, ten, eleven tournaments. Now we've probably won seven. Well, and we are not, we are five-time defending gold champions uh, in the National <laughs> Senior Games. And just to put a little cherry on top, <laughs> I was the first person to three years ago at Albuquerque to win two gold medals, one in two, in, in two different divisions. So the sixty-year-old division wow. and the sixty-five-year-old division. So very. Uh, and oh, the last one is I was fortunate enough to play on the USA Masters team. They have an wow. organization called the Federation of International Masters Basketball. I played on the U.S. over 60 team. This was this goes back about six, seven years ago. And uh, we 16 countries competed. And uh, I was fortunate, enough, again, to win the gold wow. medal. 
So wow. Love, a, love the game. That's a great story for how it's affected your entire life. All right. So last question, our truth or our um, false statements is, were you a founding member of Nick? Is that true? You know, it's funny you ask that. I was, I was, I was thinking about the question uh, two nights ago and I was sitting with my wife and I, I said to her, you know, I, I, I think I got an idea for, for the, for the false statement. I was, I'm going to say I was a founder of Nick. Now my <laughs> wife, by the way, was 14 years at HCPI before they became peak. And, you know, she's an industry professional. Yeah, she well, knows the industry. Was. Yeah. She knows the industry. And she turns to me and she goes, you weren't. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I get a lot of times people will say that to me. They'll say, well, you were a founder of Nick. Right. And, and the truth is, no, I wasn't. Um, there was kind of a, a transitional period from 1990 where Tony, uh, not, not Tony Mullen, um, Al Holbrook and Bob Aramian started an event in Atlanta that evolved the next year, 1991, into the formalization of the launching of Nick. And the four founders at that point were Bob Kramer, Tony Mullen, God rest his soul, uh, yeah. Al Holbrook, and who, did I say Tony Mullen? I did. I think, yeah, I know, Tony, uh, Bob Aradian. Uh, Bob Aradian, yeah. yeah. So the four, and so and Bob Kramer, obviously. Yeah. And, and then been, I, so and then you've attended how many of the Nick conferences? You know, I didn't. I didn't miss one until I got sick, unfortunately. And uh, you know, I think I made the first twenty-seven. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> you know, I think I missed the twenty-eighth. And you've but, been on the um, board. And you've been on the board. And Nick, you and I overlapped I've, on the board. Yeah, for I've been on the while. board twice, and I've been uh, chairman of sure. the board. So, yeah, yeah. so you've been very wonderful. You know, my my career, I mean, the launching of Nick really paralleled with with kind of even though I'd been in the business for for a bit, that transformation of creating an asset class, which Nick provided research and infrastructure for the stimulation of capital, or as they would say, capital formation. Right, which is right. not lost on me that I went, oh, I, like that. I like that word. Why don't, how about formation yeah. capital? Is that, is that that dynamic, um, you know, of, of the, of the, of the founding of that really coincided with the escalation of the opportunities that are present today and the evolution of what Nick has done for the industry and what it does now is, is just, it's, it's unbelievable and outstanding and hats off to Bob Kramer and the work he's done and the work you've done, the work, the whole, the whole organization has done is just, uh, it's remarkable. So. Well, on behalf of Nick, thank you for all your input and insights and very good ideas that you've shared with us over the years. So it's been really helpful. Yeah, thank you. So I already, I could talk to you for a very long time, but I'm looking at the time and um, I think we're almost at the end of our time right now together. So is there any closing comment you want to make to um, our audience? You know, I, I think for me, the, you know, we talk about technology um, the human element is really what the creation of value proposition has, in my mind, is, is all about. Um, you, you know, that, that we, we can't lose sight of the fact that no matter what we do from advancing or integrating technology or, 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 care, or different types of, of care plans or, or, or management over, over populations or whatever it might be, but the human element of, of, of what our population uh, is now it not only needs but wants, and and I think that that if you if you ever do anything in this business and lose sight of the fact that it's all about the value of of, of an individual's life and then being able to scale that in some kind of way to community, and so the target when I talk about the intersection of 
innovation, technology, and 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 senior housing, which which by the way, you know, my belief is that there's an ability here to create this third party solution, both social and clinical, that drives real estate value. And and that's a that's a that's a big thing that I'm not so sure too many people are really focused on is this is an operating business inside of real estate. And if, you know, if we can drive additional value through additional services and, and, and reduce costs at the same time, but, but improve quality, which is really the goal. And, and again, develop that experience. There's so much to me in terms of value of engagement and experience of your residents and that population that the the that impact and that value driver is just there's so much opportunity for us as an industry today to to bring ourselves you know I said talked about parity before that that is we are now at a point where the rest of the industry when I say rest of the industry whether that's health systems whether that's payers you know historically they've made all the demand pharmaceuticals companies they've made all had all the leverage and all the press data is currency right absolutely data and and the ability to to integrate with that human element we as an industry sit in a remarkable remarkable position do not give up your data (laughs) (laughs) it is it is something that or if you do make sure there's alignment right so you know because what happens in my opinion is the big boys they know exactly what they're doing when they come to you and say, hey, we'll partner with you, but we've got to control the data. Well, right. there's a reason There's a reason why you hear that. So anyways, that so was a that's, little bit long-winded so, way of, of, uh, of No, that of was, that was, my, that was great. Uh, you know, I, I like to say that our podcast focuses on um, talking to somebody who's going to bring some humor and some insights and a lot of authenticity. And I would say for me, a light bulb's gone up a few times with some of the comments that you've shared today. So I really appreciate it so much. And again, congratulations on your victory statement of being a a year past uh, cancer. It's it's fantastic. Thank you so much, Ben. All right, take care. Bye now.